Welcome, meeting makers. I'm your host, Lauren Green, meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop, where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. This is going to be so meta, meeting makers. I'm going to lecture to you about not lecturing. No, but really, let's talk about your boring slide deck. It sucks. You have too much text on it. The font is too small. You have lots of data, but there's no clear connections or insights and it's hard to understand your key points. I'm sorry to say it, but you're doing it all wrong. So stop right where you are and listen up. Do not touch the new slide button. We included this episode because we know that a lot of meetings involve giving presentations. And you don't have to put a TED Talk level of effort into the planning, but there are a few tips you can pull from meeting facilitation that can help you have a more engaging and effective presentation. I know I harped on your terrible slides in the opening, and I'm sorry for that. But let's break down what makes a presentation great. I want you to think for a moment about a memorable presentation that you listened to. It could have been this morning's stand-up or even the State of the Union. Or if you want to butter me up, it could be one of the podcast episodes that you just listened to. So what about it made it memorable? Just the fact that you can remember a presentation says something. Most presentations are not very memorable. And usually, the ones that are hit on something that gave you a strong feeling. You might remember the speaker's presence the way that they said something or visual that they used. It wasn't a magic trick. That speaker probably just did a few simple things differently to help their talk become more than a boring lecture. So we'll get to delivery in a few minutes, but first, let's talk about planning. Back in episode two of this season, we waxed philosophical about the decision to meet or not to meet. Arguably, a one-way presentation does not need to be a meeting unless there's a reason you need to engage people. That reason can simply be to ask them a question, but there needs to be a reason. Otherwise, why not just start your own podcast? Haha. <laughs> Perhaps your talk could simply be an article or even better, an audio or video recording that you can send out and people can listen to on their own time rather than scheduling a meeting. But you need to ask yourself, what is the reason for this presentation? And if you didn't give this presentation, what would happen? Put some thought cycles into this, because you need to get clear on your why before you proceed. Maybe your why sounds something like, well, I need to gather feedback on a new strategy. Or, I need buy-in on suggested process improvements. Guess what? Those whys? Those aren't presentations. Those are reasons to have a meeting, something where you actually engage people in a conversation. If you want to make the switch to a meeting instead of a presentation, there are some incredible meeting structures that can really get the juices flowing. 
I work with lots of medical organizations, and boy, do they love their panel discussions. But most people don't remember the panels. They remember the coffee breaks. Why? Because that's where Dr. Bob and Director Jackson discovered a strategy for solving patient intake processes. Panels assume that the smartest people in the room are the ones on stage, but often, the people on the panels are no smarter than anyone else in the room, and it wastes valuable coffee talk time. Back in episode 6 of season 1, we talk about open space as a meeting style. Open space is like one giant coffee talk with a bit more structure. If you want to truly engage your participants and collaborate on ideas, consider scrapping the panel or your presentation altogether and have an open space style meeting instead. I guarantee people will leave feeling more engaged and productive than ever. Okay, that was a brief tangent to advocate for meetings instead of presentations, but in the scenario where you need to convey information as your why, a presentation is probably in your future. Presentations may also help to kick off meetings and set the right tone, Maybe you need to offer some background information in order to have a productive conversation. So this is where you need to tackle the design of a presentation a little differently. So let's pause here and kind of recap what we've talked about so far. Getting clear on why you need to present something is going to give you an indicator of whether that presentation could be something that you record and send out instead of gathering people in a room versus a presentation that might guide you into a meeting, which needs to be considered in its own way. And then we also talked about maybe it's not a presentation at all, but simply a meeting that has a little bit of a structure and we offered open space. All of these things are percolations aimed to help you question why you're presenting and make sure it's really clear that you're doing it with intention. But back to where we were, you need to tackle your design of a presentation a little bit differently than you would a meeting. No matter how much time you have, think of your presentation like a story. Storytelling is ancient and fundamentally human. We have been telling stories before we could write them down. In Paul Smith's book, Lead with a Story, he talks about how the use of story can illustrate key points in a way that no data can. There's a story in that book that I can almost recite out of memory because it was so clear. And it was about a medical practice. And someone discovered that they were spending an awful lot of money on different types of latex gloves. He noticed that the cost of where they were sourcing their gloves from was very different across their various sources they were buying them from. But as much as he tried to show the data and how the cost differed between each of the glove purchases, he couldn't sell anyone on actually making the change to go with a single source of low-cost gloves until he got one of every kind of glove, brought everyone into a conference room, and poured them out on the table to show them these are all the different types of gloves that we buy. And that did it. The visual of pouring the gloves out on the table so people could see how ridiculous it was that they were buying all these different types of gloves 
and the different prices was the impetus that they needed to act. I love that story. I may not have told it exactly like it was written in the book, but honestly, I heard it years ago. And so just the fact that I can recall it from hearing it once years ago shows you how important story is to illustrate key points. Data is great, but story is so key. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Every year, I support one or two TED or TED-style conferences through graphic recording, which if you don't know what that is, it's large-scale visual note-taking. You can check out my practice, Dancing with Markers, to learn more about graphic recording. I get to listen to lots of stories in these types of events. And while I am not a TED coach, and yes, that is a thing, I can tell you from listening to all of these talks that they are filled with stories. You learned how to tell stories in grade school. So go back to your favorite childhood book. Do you have it in mind? Mine is Where the Wild Things Are. I also love Matilda. And of course, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. That's one of my favorites. In any of those books, there's a setting, there are characters, some sort of conflict, and then there's a resolution with likely a key theme or message. And with a little creativity, you can map out boring data points into this framework. Let's say that you need to review some key background about customer satisfaction to help your team look for opportunities to improve. What could you start with that would illustrate the importance of this background information. Last year, we faced a lot of challenges. You may remember some long nights and frustrating emails. I'm pulling on the emotional memory there, briefly recalling something that the group can connect with. So now we're going to state the why in a clear and simple message. I don't want what happened last year to become the norm. We need to find a better way. So far, you've got a brief emotional recall story, followed by a why, and now you can throw in some of the data. While we noticed a drop in customer satisfaction overall, we saw growth in one particular area. Okay, that's great, but we need to drive it home with a why that really matters. This tells me that we have potential for growth and improvement if we can just build on this momentum. Now, reinforce the why and get to that call to action which might be also the reason that you're having the meeting. We're here today to look for ways we can improve customer satisfaction, and in order to do that, we're going to start with a deeper look at what's working and what's not. So let me read that all together, because it might have been a little bit hard to follow with me interrupting myself. And again, look for that emotional recall, a little bit of data, and nail it home with the why and a call to action. Last year, we faced a lot of challenges. You may remember some long nights and frustrating emails. I don't want what happened last year to become the norm. We need to find a better way. While we noticed a drop in customer satisfaction overall, we saw growth in one particular area. This tells me that we have potential for growth and improvement if we can build on this momentum. We're here today to look for ways we can improve customer satisfaction, and in order to do that, we're going to start with a deeper look at what's working and what's not. I kept this example short, but know that you might have more data to share or key points to emphasize, but the thing that I want you to remember is to start and end with why. 
and find opportunities to engage memory and have a clear call to action. Now, let's say that you have to do a presentation that's longer than just the first five minutes of your meeting. Every five to eight minutes is a general recommendation for how often to engage your audience during the talk. And you should definitely engage more whenever delivering a talk online. And if you're asking why, quit scrolling Facebook, cooking dinner, and telling your teenager to take the dog out while listening to this podcast. We are multitaskers, and there are always more important things that participants want to be doing more than listening to your online talk, I'm sorry to say. So how do you create moments of engagement that don't add time to your presentation? Well, one way is to simply prompt thinking by using phrases like, consider a time when, or what might happen if, asking participants to think or remember something will get their brain cycles churning, and to level it up a notch, invite a yes or no response. If you're in person, you can say, raise your hand if, or how many of you have. And if you're online, you can ask participants to raise a virtual hand or add a thumbs up emoji in the chat. The world is your oyster. There's so many more options now with online meeting platforms than were ever possible before. This gives you some small nuggets to insert every five to eight minutes. To take it a step further than that, you could add a poll using a program like Mentimeter, which is one of my favorites, or a polling feature in whatever web meeting platform that you're using. For example, I know Zoom has an integrated polling feature inside of it. In a virtual meeting, encourage the use of chat to share comments and questions. Many speakers want to limit chat because they think it might be distracting. But if people are commenting in chat, they are engaging and way less likely to be checking Twitter in another tab. You can even play a short video to break up the monotony. Just remember to test your tech beforehand. Okay, so maybe you want to create even more engagement and actually get people talking. Not as much as in one of your amazing meetings, since you definitely listened to season one, but enough to reflect on the content a bit more. When participants reflect on the content, they learn it. And if you're lucky, they act on it. So you can do this by inviting participants to write down a few of the key ideas, aka journaling. Or you could invite participants to turn to a partner or a few people around them and have a short conversation about the topic. At the very least, I hope that you have some time for Q&A. And if you're in a large conference room, repeating each question back so everyone can hear is important, especially for the online participants. Oh my gosh, I've been in so many rooms that have online participants and the person gets up and asks a question and they're not on a microphone. Nobody can hear you online. So make sure that if you're the speaker and you see that happening, repeat the question into the mic so that the folks at home can hear, please. If you're listening to this podcast before July 2023 and want to get your hands on an opportunity to learn from me live, you are in luck. We are hosting the inaugural Meeting Makers Academy Workshop, Just-In-Time Meeting Skills, from July 25th through the 28th from 12 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. We'll give you a hands-on opportunity to design a meeting, 
practice facilitating, and receive on-the-spot feedback to help you become more confident in your meeting skills and ability to lead inclusive, gauging, and productive conversations. You can sign up or learn more at makemeetings.work forward slash academy. Early bird signups end on June 30th and registration ends on July 14th. So act fast to get your spot today. So visuals for meetings are kind of my thing. Some of you listening may not know this, but this podcast is my moonlight gig. Most of my work, at least at the time I'm recording this, is visual note-taking, or as I said before, large-scale visual displays that capture keywords and images in real time during the event. Does that sound crazy? It's not. If you're a doodler, you can actually make a living doodling for meetings. It's a thing. So shameless plug, again, check out my website, dancingwithmarkers.com, if you want to learn more or bring me or my team into your next event. Every now and then, I work with a speaker who fancies themselves a disruptor because they don't want to use slides, but rather have me or one of my team members illustrate their talk instead. Totally doable, happy to oblige, but you don't have to hire a graphic recorder to be a disruptor. He who holds the marker wields the power. And if you dare to pick it up and make marks on a piece of paper in front of people, you just might be the most engaging speaker they have ever seen, even if all you drew was a stick figure with arms coming out of their sides and a disembodied head. Trust me, quality does not matter. When people see something drawn live, they are just glued in. They're so focused. You've probably seen those RSA animate videos on YouTube and get sucked into the amazement. It's the same idea, but forget the pretty picture. Is there something in your talk that you want to create a visual for? Maybe a little model or a data graph? Is it feasible to draw that on a flip chart or a whiteboard while you're doing your talk? In one of our online courses, Introduction to Facilitating with Visuals, We dedicate an entire module of this eight-module program on adding visuals to meetings just to drawing live and on the fly while delivering a talk. And if you need some examples, we have a free blog on the eight models that every facilitator should be able to draw live. We'll drop that link as well as information about the course in the description if you want to check that out. So another alternative to slides is to use handouts and worksheets that include your key points. Maybe give participants room to take notes or do an activity. The course we just talked about has a great module on designing templates as well for both online and in-person meetings. It's really an all-things visual program for anyone who facilitates meetings. But supposing you can't detach yourself from your precious slide deck, I get it, I'm heartbroken, but I understand. Here are a few tips that we all know but never follow (laughs) to make your slides complement your talk. First, use clear and interesting graphics. Next, challenge yourself to use more images than words. You shouldn't be putting your script into your slides anyway. If you use a complex graphic, think about printing it or cropping it across a few slides so that you can speak to the components clearly and zoomed in. Again, don't overuse the text and don't use a font size that's too small. If you're not sure, just ask a friend. And if you can't avoid a wordy slide, 
call out the key points at the bottom of the slide with a little bumper sticker. For more tips on making better slides, we found a great resource from the National Conference of State Legislatures, and we'll link to that resource in the description. And now for the good stuff. Just kidding. We know you're loving all of this. Where are my anxious people at? You can't tell, but I'm raising my hand so high. I'm actually raising both hands. And if you're someone who struggles with anxiety or just fear speaking in front of people, let's talk about some ways to work on your presence. I want you to think about how you describe yourself. What's your personality? And if you're not sure, how do you think your best friend would describe you? Whether you're outgoing or reserved or quirky or sharp, you should bring yourself into your presentation style. When someone says a person has good presence, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're super outgoing. This is for all my introverts out there. It just means that they appear confident and comfortable in their own skin. What would it look like to bring your personality into how you present? Would you word things in a certain way? Would you make lots of clear, direct points? Think about it. Even pause this podcast to consider this a bit further. Mark Twain said, there are two types of speakers, those who get nervous and those who are liars. Many people get nervous, but they are good at overcoming the symptoms. The best strategy if you're nervous is to practice. There's nothing wrong with scripting out your talk. Scripting is a great exercise in planning what you want to say. But you have to go a step further and change your script into short bullets. See how much you can take out so that you have the bare minimum as your reference. And you can have your notes with you, that's fine. There's no shame in that. People like to say that you should never read from your notes, but that's unrealistic if you're already nervous about speaking. So now you're going to be even more nervous about memorizing your lines. So bring your notes, but only include the essentials so they're a reference but not a crutch. I always feel less nervous when I open with a joke or a very short icebreaker question. If I get people smiling, I relax. I also like to be moving when I'm talking. No one wants to watch someone pace back and forth, but moving to one area, pausing, and moving to another may help you relax. And if you're in an online meeting, consider a standing desk and maybe do a few lunges before you get started. I often get asked how I know what to listen for when I write something down while I'm graphic recording. And I like to say that I'm psychic, but no, there's a technique to it. A good speaker will slow down when they want to emphasize a key point. That's one thing that signals to me that something important is coming that I'm going to write down. They may also pause for emphasis or say things like, the top three things I want you to remember are pausing, slowing down, repeating key points will help participants remember the important things. And if you're worried that they won't, consider hiring a graphic recorder to write them down for you. So there you go. That is my one and likely only episode on presenting because this is a podcast about meetings and I'm always going to encourage you to have a meeting and to have a good meeting and to plan it out and know your outcomes. But every now and then, you got to make a presentation. So I really hope that this episode gave you a few tips to help make your presentation one that's memorable, actionable, and thought-provoking. Let's make your presentations and meetings work.